0: You're listening to Cross Life, the college ministry of Grace Bible Church in Bozeman, Montana. Our current series is Amago Day, a study of how the character of God impacts your daily life. Genesis 126 says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image. You were created to be and to reflect the image of your Creator. You're a signpost, that's it. Your, if you remember this, this is what you are to do to your Creator. A mirror gets very little glory for itself. The mirror gets glory in the beholder, you, right? If no one's in the mirror, what good's the mirror? Not much. But when the Lord looks into your life, He should see Himself. That's what you were created for. That's what we're going to spend a whole year on, is Imago Dei. You were created in the image of God. Genesis 1, God created you in His image. Genesis 3, sin comes. In the the mirror, man's image is broken. A broken mirror reflects itself, just like you do. And it distorts the person who is in the mirror. What sin has done is rather than reflecting God, you reflect yourself. And rather than reflecting God, you distort God. That's what sin does. I'm created in the image. Sin has perverted the image Christ comes, God comes. Christ the Creator comes and dies, and to those who believe in Him, you are, Romans 8 says, that you are being made in the image of His Son. That means that Christ the Creator created you to bring glory to the Father, and though sin has perverted the image, Christ, the Creator, has brought you full circle back to do what you were created to do, which is reflect the Lord. And I know sometimes in life you don't feel like that because we still have a body that longs to sin. And someday, through the miracle of death, this body will decay, and my soul, which is eternal, will live on, and God gives us a new body. A new body that wants and can have nothing and has no desire for sin. sin. Me and Scott were talking about God cannot be tempted by evil. And you will be given a body that cannot be tempted. What are you tempted with most? In heaven, if you were to hold that up and say, hey, you want this piece of chocolate? Aren't you tempted? You would say, no, I'm not even tempted with that. Your body won't even want to sin. Just as if you were to hold anything up in front of God and say, aren't you tempted? God would say, no, I don't even... You're tempting me, but I'm not tempted. You get, you see the paradox there, Scott? You're tempting me, but I'm not tempted. I don't even want it. That's where we'll be someday. I look forward to that day. Um, we've been going through the character of God and... We've been studying a lot of the incommunable attributes of God, the things that, like, um, omniscient. I am not omniscient. I don't know all things. But if I am created in the image of God, what does that mean? I reflect that somehow. We've been going through that week by week by week. Last week, Tanner taught on God, He speaks. Let's go back even further. The first week... Tanner taught on God is incomprehensible. You cannot get God. So, as his image bearer, how do I reflect an incomprehensible God? Worship. As deep calls to deep, as the, the deep things of the Lord calls to the deep, parts of your soul. I want to be near this incomprehensible God. I want to worship Him. Um, a couple weeks later, we looked at, uh, and I had an awesome time studying and understanding that God is eternal. If you weren't here for that, man, that was we should talk. That was fun. Just thinking about how big God is. And it kind like, it of it makes your mind get like a little cramp. And you're like, because I, I don't understand eternity. Tonight we're going to be in a lot of these character attributes. They rub shoulders. They're like light. God is light. It travels at one speed and it's constant. We can't elevate one character of God over the other. He is all these things all the time. And we're going to be looking this evening at uh, God is self-sufficient. We're also going to be looking at God is incomprehensible. No, we, it's, we looked at it before, I'm sorry. We're going to look at God is self-sufficient and God is self-existent. I'm getting these mixed up. Um, if you're in Genesis 1.1, 1, 1, I want to just point out something to you real quick. This is the, uh, the record of creation. This is the, the blueprint of of everything that you see. The blueprint of man, Genesis one twenty six. Here it is. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We're going to just stop there for a second. Because I love, what I want to point out to you this, this evening is that God starts out His Word and He begins to, de- to define three things that came from Him. Beginning, time, the heavens, space, earth, matter. The building blocks for everything that exists are in those things. And God doesn't explain himself, though. He just just enters into the conversation as if um, we were to assume that he was already there. It would be like if I said, Damon picked up the, his Bible and sat down in the hymnal and turned to Genesis 1. Like, I'm telling you facts, but with, under the assumption that Damon's already in the room. When God begins to describe his creation, he doesn't explain himself. He doesn't say, here's where I came from, or here's where I w- was before creation. He just, in the beginning, God created. Why does he do that? He does not give any explanation to his own existence. How many of you have asked this question? Where did God come from? Did you ever ask that question? Raise your hand if if you thought that. Where did God come from? You see, what you have just admitted is that you're a creature. That's a creature thought. See, self-existence is what separates... God from what is God and from what is not God. In the beginning, God created the time, space, and matter, the heavens and the earth. All of those things have a beginning. They all. We can all say, I wonder where that came from. Even the universe, it, it's going like this. So if we were to rewind the clock, it goes like, where did it come from? It has a beginning, but with God, there is, he's just assumed, he he is. If I were to go around the room and ask each of you, well, one of the the common questions we ask each other is, where are you from? We're just acknowledging that we are creatures. God doesn't, he doesn't live in that realm of where did you come from? He just, he just is, Um, I should hire an artist because I'm no good at drawing. But illustrations, Chris, maybe you should help me out. I'm just kidding. I'm not going to embarrass you. Um, This is how we think. Everything, it's got a beginning point. Everything that you know of, you could trace it back to a beginning. But with God... He doesn't have that. Um, Like science and philosophy, like we try to explain God, we try to measure God, and He's unexplainable, like Tanner taught. He's immeasurable. Tozer, in his book, uh, Knowledge of the Holy, he defines it like this. God has no origin, and it is precisely this concept of no origin that distinguishes that which is God from that which is not God. Psalms ninety two, verse 2, I read to you Genesis 1 already, says, uh, before the mountains were brought forth, and that word brought forth, it literally means before the mountains were given birth to. Or even you had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And I underlined, you are God. Not that you were, because you were, not that you will be, because he will be, but it's just this, you are God. Before all of that began, you are God. Doesn't live in the realm of beginnings. <laughs> Exodus three fourteen, Moses says before he goes to Pharaoh, you, "If I'm going to go to Pharaoh and um, risk my life to tell Pharaoh that he needs to let your people go, I'm going to need to tell Pharaoh who sent me." And God, uh, God's description, it's just a simple but yet extremely complex just. I am. Tell him, I am sent you. One God names himself, which none of you in, in here can name yourself because someone who came before you always names you, unless you change your name, but that's just silly. God names himself. He just says, I am. Because he, he's, he's a constant. He has no origin, no place of reference. No starting, no movement, no travel, no change, just a timeless is. It just is. Everything other than God, stars and light, the planet, rocks, people, are constantly, constantly changing. The earth, like stars, are burning out. I don't know if you know that, but the sun is burning out. It has an end. The earth has an age. Rocks are getting worn down by wind and by rain. People are, you're getting older. You have a beginning and you have an end and God just is. These things are very comforting to me. The fact that um, I can't get God. What kind of God would He be if you, could, if you and me could comprehend Him? And if somebody here, imagine if some of you here were older than God. Like, like our idols. We make idols. You think of the Old Testament. Somebody made Baal. He had an origin. He was given birth to, in fact, by... The fish god. Who's the fish god that the Philistines worshipped? Dagon. Dagon. What kind of god is that? God says, I am. So, if God is uncaused, nobody caused God, He is the uncaused cause, He is self-existent, what does that make you? You and everything else you have or know of, was caused by something. And you are created in the image of this amazing God. What does that make you? We're going to just spend a little bit of time in the first part of our study in Colossians 1:16. Go ahead and turn there. Colossians 1: 16 and 17. This is one of those verses that, I don't know, you can kind of read and get tied or tongue-tied up in a little bit, and then you start to look at it phrase by phrase by phrase, and there's a lot here. Let me turn to it, too. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. We're going to read um, from... We'll start at 15. And this is speaking of Jesus Christ. That's important. Okay, Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Wait a second. Firstborn? What does that mean? Christ was, had a beginning? He was born? And I think, no, I don't think. I know that that is not a fact. Tanner taught on modalism, where God is this way and then He's this way and then He's... No, all the time, Jesus Christ is the eternal Son. What does firstborn mean then? It's a place of position. Skip down to the very end of 18 and it says that He may have the preeminence. The first place. Firstborn is a positional thing. If you're firstborn, you get the inheritance you get leadership of the family. You, get, you inherit all of the things. And Paul says that Jesus Christ is the firstborn. They're His. So let's, let's, I just wanted to make that straight in case any of you had questions. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all the creation. It's all His. 16. For by Him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on the earth, Visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things. And in Him all things consist. And He is the head of the body. And the church who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things He may have the preeminence. We're going to walk through verses 16 and 17. Mostly in order. I'm going to skip it out of order a little bit. Um, Verse 16, the first part. For by Him all things were created. And if you notice, Scripture doesn't leave anything out. It says... uh, See if you can find anything that, that, that Scripture leaves out here. Things that are in heaven... That are on the earth. That's a lot right there. Visible and invisible. That covers all your energies and forces and things that you don't even know exist, like microscopic things. Yeah. Um, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, and if, you're not su- if you don't think that covers everything, the next word says all things. All things. Were created by Him. What does that mean personally for you? That means that God is your designer. You, if you are to reflect this self-existent God, and He created you, that means that God is your designer. Um, just on a, a practical note or an implication, you were made exactly how God, in, apart from sin. You were made exactly how God intended you. I think a lot of times we as selfish, self-centered, always looking over the fence, people we're not satisfied with how we look, how we feel, how how this or that, or we'd like to be shorter or taller or God made you exactly as he intended. A good verse to meditate on for you guys would be Psalms 139. It talks about how God knew you in your mother's womb. I love this verse when it says, Before you were born, all your days were written in a book as when there was none of them. In other words, today and yet tomorrow are already old news to the Lord for you. Totally designed you, all things were by him. Let's go to 16, second part of 16. All things were created through Him. Is anybody a designer here? Or do you work in design? Or you're just too scared to admit it? God is a designer. Man is a designer. You know, what is different from you and the Lord is not only is the Lord a perfect designer, all things were created through Him. Every designer needs material. God doesn't. God contains all of the stuff that there is. You look in Genesis 1, in the beginning, ex nihilo, out of nothing, God created do you know where your life came from? Genesis 2, 7 says that God breathed into you. Like the, the eter- eternal things of you, where did that come from? God breathed it into you. He didn't have to go anywhere else to get anything. He had everything within him. John 1, 3 says, All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. Tozer says, Man is dependent each moment for his existence upon the one who created him after his own likeness. The fact of God is necessary to the fact of man. Think God away, and man has no ground of existence. That's powerful. Because if God is at the tip of nothing right there at the beginning, he is where it all came from, and you think in your mind that God, there is no God, which Scripture says you don't, then you have no grounds for existence because all of these things are from him and through him. I I was kind of picturing um, maybe two different ways. I was picturing a box. And that box is... It's an imperfect illustration because I was picturing like God being this box and everything that he needed to create, um, time, space, and matter was in the box. But that's not a good illustration because uh, you can see the box and the box has limits and God doesn't have limits. But everything God needed, he had within himself. You think of um, if you've ever seen something die and you see like the that whatever it is in, in that animals or whatever, the, the eye, the spark of life goes out. Where did that come from? It came from the Lord. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. Like, God, from God proceeds life. He didn't go anywhere to get it. It came from Him. Another thing that Tozer had written a good um, uh, something for us to meditate on, and it's challenging uh, When you see that God is our origin and He is our source, it would follow that all our problems and their, th- their solutions are theological. What are you going through right now? If you and everything that there is, is from God, your thoughts, your emotions, they didn't come from anywhere else, they came from God, then it would follow that all of your problems and their solutions are, it's a theological problem. My challenge is um, where do you go for help? Where do you go for refreshment? Where do you go for direction? Like, do you go towards the source? Is your instinct to think, I wonder what in prayer, seeking the Lord, or in Scripture, seeking His Word, or God works among His people, seeking direction. Where do you go? Um, Let's keep keep walking down. I'm going to skip to 117. The second part, B, and he is before all things and in him him all things consist. That word consist, it can be translated, they are held together. Not only is he the designer, not only does he have all the material, but all the things that are, are, they consist, held together in him. Hebrews 1.3 describes this pretty good. It says, I'm going to turn there real quick. Again, once this is about Christ. Who being the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person and upholding all things by the word of His truth, by the word of His power, when he by himself purged our sins and sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Like, uh, like right now, here you are. What's holding you up? What's keeping you going? What tells your heart to have the next breath <laughs> beat? <laughs> I'm an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> like w- why am I still living and right now somebody else is dying like what what's holding man up Hebrews 1 3 says words think about that for a second like what is the force that keeps everything going It's the words of Christ. You are only allowed to continue because the word of his power. How did it all begin? God spoke words. Like, I think sometimes we underestimate the power of God's words. Like, when, when he speaks, out of nothing comes creation. When he speaks, Creation continues, doesn't stop. I am this, um, my, this substance, and I continue because of God's words. You think of um, in the Gospels how Jesus demonstrated that. How did he call Lazarus to life? Words. How did he talk to the sea, calm the sea? Words. How did he um, rebuke demons, spiritual things, invisible words? Like the words of Christ are powerful. They are life. Why does the earth continue to spin? Who keeps all the laws of gravity? Why does water always freeze? And you say, well, that's just natural law. Who, Who made these things? Who keeps these things? Scripture says that it's the word of his power and it has something to do with the gospel, which is really amazing. Let's um, go back up now. And, uh, all things are for him, 116 says. All things are for him, and he is before all things. I read that out of order on purpose. What does this mean? That... All of these things are for Christ, and He is before all things. This describes positions. Christ is before you. Positionally, because He is your designer, your maker, your sustainer, He is before you. As a Christian, we like to think of ourselves, and it is so true that we are sons of God through Christ when we are, but we are also what's called a doulos, which is a slave of Christ, and he is such a good master. Slave of, you're either a slave of Christ, slave of righteousness, or you're a slave to sin. One of the two. He is before me, and secondly, and I love this, I am for him. Christ is before me, and my purpose is for him. All things are for him. I am for the enjoyment of Christ and the Father. I had to ask myself is that how I live my life? Like, do I live my life for my enjoyment, or do I live my life in a way that would bring glory to Christ? To be a Christian is to enjoy Christ. Christ says, I have come that you might have life and life abundant, a fullness to life. Do you experience that? Like, are, are you experiencing the, the God who is self existent? Is he your sustainer? Or do you recognize him as your sustainer? Or are you looking in other places? Are you enjoying him? Are you enjoying life abundant? And then the second thing is to be enjoyed by Christ. When you are restored through the gospel to the image of God, you are enjoyed by God. When when Jesus, when we um, through the gospel, we are restored into the image of Jesus Christ. God enjoys you. Do you know why? Because when he he looks in the mirror of his life, what does he see? His son. Think about that. He doesn't see you. He enjoys you because when you are restored in his image, he sees himself. What a a funny thing to think about other than he's perfect. And He is deserving. It's not good for humans to think this way, but for a perfect God who deserves your worship and your glory and all honor, power, and praise to look into the mirror of your life, it brings him great satisfaction to see himself in the image of his son. Let's keep going. You can turn your notes over to the other side. You know, I forgot to mention this, but um, if there's one thing that I'd like you to, to take home this evening, that's hitting you right in the eye. I know, and I like that. I'm going to keep it right there. I'm <laughs> just kidding. Um, if there's one thing I'd like you to remember this evening, it's that everything you have is from God, which we just covered, Everything is from God, the self existent God, and everything you need is in God. That's what, that's what I'd like you to remember this evening. Everything you have is from God, which we just looked at, and secondly, everything you need is in God. This is one that, um, this is a humbling aspect we're going to study next, and that is God is self sufficient, or God is independent. God does not need us or the rest of creation for anything. He doesn't need you for enjoyment. He doesn't need you because there is an unsatisfied something that you have that you offer him. That if he didn't have it, he'd be missing out. Oh, if only I had Andy. I'd be a better God then. Not at all. Um, Tanner taught last week at um, MSU, which was a lot of fun, that uh, about the Trinity. You see, God doesn't need anything, He's totally independent because everything He has. Um, I'll do this. That's the little symbol for God, is, uh, is in himself. He doesn't need your love. Do you know why? Because before time began, he experienced perfect love. If God needed your love, what would that mean? That means he would be without. And, and the very definition of God is that he has it all. And I know right, right away you're like, oof. Because we like to think that we're needed, but we're not. And so we, we, we come up with this lie that says, well, maybe God created us because he was lonely. Absolutely not. There was perfect fellowship in the Trinity before time began. Christ says, Father, love me as you have loved me before creation. Like the love of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, it was not lacking anything. I think a great illustration is um, if you think that God created you because he is lonely. Um, ha- how many people were at a wedding this summer? That's a lot. Imagine if, um, it was good too, I like weddings. I did one one time, I was in a wedding, mine. Got married once. Let's say, um, did anybody here get married this summer? Yeah. Andrew and Callie got married this summer. And it was a celebration. I wasn't there, but it was a celebration. I didn't get an invitation. Um, I met you the day of the wedding, didn't I? The day before the wedding. Yeah. And it was fun and all. He was glad to meet me. He didn't invite me, but he was glad to meet me. And they had a ceremony the next day, and it was, I bet you it was good. If I'd have been there, I'd have told you how good it was, but I wasn't there. And they, the preacher stood up there, and he gave a message, and they invited their friends and family and then the pastor said, we now pronounce you man and wife and you may kiss the bride. And they go down the aisle and then they celebrate with a meal and then everybody leaves. And Andrew and Callie leave. And if, you said, and if I was like, hey, guys, can I come along, please? <laughs> <I'm>, no, no. <laughs> and you know what? They don't even have a perfect love, do you? God and the Holy Spirit and His Son love each other perfectly. If they don't want me around because they are content with their love for one another, do you really think that God got lonely? Do you think that Andrew and Callie are better lovers than the Lord is? Absolutely not. Where do you think love came from? It came from Him. Perfect love. Let me read you some verses. Acts 17 24 through 25 says, God who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshiped with man's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. I like that. I like that my Lord doesn't, he's not a needy God wanting around, running around, doing things, trying to get affection, get things. He has it all. And you go back to the box illustration, it's all from Him. Where do you think their love came from? It came from the Lord. That's their testimony. Job 41.11 says, Who has preceded me that I should pay Him? Everything under heaven is mine. Psalms 50 10-12 says, "Every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the mountains and the wild beasts of the field. They're mine. And if I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine in its fullness. No one supplies God with anything. It's quite the contrary. Outside of God's creation, there is nothing. John 1 3 says, All things were made through him, and without him, nothing was made that was made. Within the Godhead, within the Trinity, as Tanner taught last week, is perfect perfection. Perfect love. He does not need to be loved by us. Perfect communication. He, can, he cannot grow lonely. If he could, it would mean that he was without something and then he would not even be God. God needs nothing. He has everything to the fullest all the time, and it comes from within himself. He's perfect. The um, Application. The application is I have nothing that God needs because everything under heaven already is his. Imagine if, um, if Elliot, uh, he wanted to, to be a good friend of mine And he knew that um, there was something that I wanted to buy. I'm making this up as I go, you can tell. He knew that there was something that I wanted to buy. And so Elliot, he goes down to the bank and goes in my account. And he gets out 50 bucks and he comes over and he's like, man, Andy, here you go. I'm like, Elliot, that's my money. What do you mean, here you go? yeah, but I just wanted to offer you something. Will you take it? I'm like, Elliot, it's, it's already my money. And that's how it is with the Lord. We want to offer the, these things to the Lord. And the Lord says, um, I created them. They're all in my account. You, you don't have anything that I need because it's already mine. Um, we need to get away from this idea that there's a, a needy God That God needs man's affection. He needs our devotion. We do this in little subtle ways. We see like a sports figure or a movie star, and we say, man, wouldn't that be great for the kingdom if that guy got saved? Have you ever done that? Wouldn't that be, man, what an impact. As if God needed me or him. You know, God can use, and he chooses to use the foolish things. But we get this idea because we love to be, to be needed. How does this make you feel? Meaningless? Of little value? I want to challenge you there. Because your value does not come from what you have to offer. Okay? So where does your value come from? Let me read to you some verses. For The first one is in Isaiah 43.7. Because I don't want to say that you have no value. And God would not say that either. But what is your value? Isaiah 43.7 says, Everyone who is called by my name, whom I have created for my glory... I have formed Him, yes, I have made Him. You see, I want to go back to Tozer's quote, God does not need us or the rest of creation for anything, yet we and the rest of creation, we can glorify Him and we can bring Him joy. God says, whom I have created for my glory. You know that God delights over His people? He loves. Him. And he, there's one verse that says he sings over his people. He sees them as very valuable. Do you know why? It's because he's declared you valuable. It's not because you have something to offer. You are valuable to the Lord because he has declared you valuable. And he is the, he is the one who says that it is valuable or it is not valuable. That's something good to think about because we try to do things to earn God's favor and our righteousness is as filthy rags. God loves His children because they're His. Not because I don't love my children because of the things they do for me. I love them because they're mine. So what does God see in me of value? Go back to the mirror illustration. He has declared you valuable because He sees Himself in you. That's valuable. That's the most valuable thing that you could possess, is that you are bearing His image. Your value and your identity is not in what you do. It's in who you know. Matthew 10, 29 God says, uh, or Jesus says, He's talking about the Lord gives such attention to sparrows. Some, some translation says that He sees every time a sparrow falls. Every time a sparrow falls, God knows it. There's an, another way that you could look at this, and it's, it's every time a sparrow hops. Every time a sparrow hops, God is aware of it. And then Jesus says, You are loved far more than sparrows. See, your, your value is not in your degree. It's not in the job that you get. Your value is in Christ. And you can get, I mean, some of you will, will go on to have awesome careers, and you'll be making the big bucks. And some of you will say, man, and I'm just a, a layman or I'm just a a blue collar and we see our value in the things that we do it's not true your value as a Christian is in Christ and who he has declared you and who he is making you into the image of, of his son so if God is I want to switch over to the Imago Dei part. If God is independent, doesn't need anything, okay, what does that make you? We, um, we, have a, we, we believe a lie that says that we are independent too. We think that, especially in our culture, we are so independent. You see this right now in the news where everybody is, they've got their own opinions and they want to be independent of this and they, they don't want to be bothered and The truth is, is that um, you are not and you never were independent. From the first time that when you used to borrow life from your mother's umbilical cord to when you were born and you borrowed your first breath, you have never been independent. You have always been needy. You have always needed something to keep you going. And this idea that I'm I'm an island or I'm independent, it's like a mirage in your mind, and it's not true. Job 34, 14 and 15 says, If he should set his heart on it, this is talk speaking of God, and if he should gather to himself his spirit and his breath, all, fle- all flesh would perish together and man would return to dust. You see, we live because God breathed into you. And if God, for some reason, if he set his mind to it and, and inhaled, All flesh would perish and return to dust. Every breath you take, it is not of your own will. We're not independent. One of the main ways that we can reflect God is humility and gratefulness. 1 Corinthians 4, 6, and 7, it's a good one to think through. Paul says, what do you have that you haven't been given? In the context there, He's talking about humility. But what do you have that you haven't been given? Absolutely nothing. Nothing at all. I want to go through three, four things that you can be grateful for. Four things that are from the Lord. I mentioned one already. Job 33, 4 says, The Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. Psalms 156 says, Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. So if God my maker has given me breath, how can I praise the Lord? How can I reflect God? Psalms 150 says, Let everything that praises the Lord, everything that has breath, praise the Lord. Here's how you can reflect God. Take a deep breath. Praise the Lord for that breath. You ever think about that? Like take a deep breath and go, Thank you, Lord. I got another one. I I had this habit as a little kid to think that um, if I didn't think the word breathe in my mind, I'd stop breathing. And so I'd always be like, breathe. And I I did this for years. And I'm dead serious. Like, it would come back and be like, still breathing, Andy. Good job. You still got it. Every breath is from the Lord. You don't will your heart to beat. Like, they're from the Lord. We need to to remember to give praise to the Lord for these things. Two. Here's something about the Lord. Psalms 121.4 says, Behold, he who keeps Israel shall neither sleep nor slumber. Do you realize that God doesn't need to sleep? This really sets you and God apart. God doesn't need to sleep. He does rest. He rested on the seventh day. But like, it's not like um, God's like, man, I got to take a nap. I am exhausted. He doesn't need to sleep. I need to sleep. If you don't sleep, you will die. There was a 2020 special that this family, um, something happened one day in one person in the family and, and they couldn't sleep anymore. And they were awake, and every single person this happened to, they died within a matter of time. And um, pretty soon, it happened to another member in the family. They were awake, and they couldn't go to sleep at night. And in a matter of time, they died. Pretty soon, ha- and it was really freaking the family out, as you can imagine. And um, so what they did is they looked back in their family history, and in their family tree, there was records of people who had gone insane and then had died. And so um, what the scientists did is they, one of the people who had died, opened up their head, and they looked at their brain, and there was all these teeny tiny microscopic holes. And something had happened, and it couldn't sleep anymore. And because if you don't sleep, you die. You need to sleep. One third of your life, you will be laying very still like this. It's enough to lay still when you're dead. One third of your life, you are laying still alive. That's a humbling thing. You need to just lay still because we love activity, we love to move around. God says, No, no. You're going to lay down and just take it easy every once in a while. You know why? Because you're not God. Only God doesn't need to sleep nor slumber. Cheating sleep in our culture is very admirable, isn't it? To burn the candle at both ends. I know you guys know this. You know Dead Week? You walk around MSC. How you doing? Oh, I'm so tired. I've been drinking blueberry coffee, like, all the time. Right? Everybody brags about how little sleep they get. You know what the Scripture says about you? (laughs) (laughs) Psalms 127, 2 says, It is vain for you to rise up early and to sit up late to the bread of sorrows. Do you know why? It goes on, For He gives His beloved sleep. Sleep is from the Lord. When you try to get ahead or when you fall behind, the first thing that goes is sleep. When you try to get ahead in Arrogance, we cheat sleep. And when you fall behind in laziness, you know what you're cheating? Sleep. You wanna, do you want to practice humility? Take a nap. Get, get the rest you need, because you need rest. John Piper, in, in one of his sermons, says, either, you either pay it now, you pay the debt of sleep now, or you pay it later. But you don't cheat it. So a discipline and humility is sleep. Not slothfulness is a difference. Not sleeping all the time. Um, Third one, health. God gives health. And I want to add a little clause there that He takes health. In John 9, 1 through 3, I think you guys have it in your paper. I don't. I'm going to turn there. The disciples assumed that this man was blind because of some sin. And they kind of looked down on him. John 9. Now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. So this wasn't, a, he was born this way. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned? Why is this guy blind?" Whose fault is it? Was it this man or his parents that he was born blind? This is a humbling statement, Jesus says. Jesus answered, neither. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the work of God should be revealed in him. This man was born blind because God willed it. He willed this man's blindness in fact, this man had, a, he had an awesome purpose in life. Christ walked the earth for a certain amount of time, and during that time, he performed miracles to show who he was. And God, in his eternal mind, had allowed this man to be blind so that when Jesus came along, Jesus could, through this man's life, be shown as the healer, as God. Wow, God wanted this man's blindness for his glory. I think it's really easy for us to, um, to, to brag in our ability or to be confident in um, things that we do. And the truth is, is that it's not from you. Scott, you really think you're that much taller than me because you want to be? It's from the Lord. The Lord made me this way. The Lord has made Scott that way. The Lord's made Levi a big dude. He's made others of you not that big. He's made, and you know what? He wants it all. God wants your slam dunk for His glory, and He wants your cancer. Okay? He wants the best all of these things that we go, yay! Wow, that guy can run really fast. Look at him, praise the Lord. Dun, 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 dun. And then on the other hand, you got blind barred miss and God says, I want that too. Um Tanner and I, we um we have the, the privilege of of working with the elder board. And uh Two weeks ago, the Gossick family came in, and Julie Gossick is a lady in our church who loves the Lord. Man, she loves the Lord. Um, She has encouraged, especially a lot of the high schoolers, in what does it mean to have, in many of you, in in ladies who were married, what does it mean to have a quiet and a gentle spirit? She's a testimony of it. And then we found out how much she was going to be a testimony of what a quiet and gentle spirit is when we found out that she has, uh, she has um, cancer in, in her abdomen. And they came in, and because Scripture says, well, if you're sick, pray with the elders. And i never forget, she, we asked her, how can we pray for you? And she said, you know, this isn't mine. This is the church's. And I, I was like, what? You see, because like, this wasn't just for Julie's growth. It was for me to grow that morning. When I watched Julie and see her being like, you know what? I may have one year yet. I may, ha- I may at best have two. And just to see like this trust in the Lord and to see her testimony in the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that she will eternally be with him. That was good for me. She said, this is, this is for the church. And you think, uh, why? why this person? And then you think, why not? Like, Jesus wants the glory for the best things in your life, and Jesus wants the glory for the worst things in your life. Job is a good testimony of this. He had it all taken away. His kids, his career, his home, his reputation. And his wife said, Job, you might as well just curse God and die. And Job said, he said, he said it in chapter 1 and chapter 2, two different ways. The Lord gives and the Lord takes. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And then in chapter 2, he says, foolish woman. And it was no insult to his wife, but he was saying, the Lord has given us good things, and he's taken things. But I've still got the Lord. He's better than the good things, and he's better than the bad things. The Lord is hes the giver of all of these things. And, and if, you, if I turn from him, I've got nothing. The Lord is better than cancer better than a touchdown, he's better than a car, he's better than a relationship, and he wants all of those things for him because they're from him. How do you do that? Paul in 2 Corinthians wrestled with this. He wrestled with an an, an infirmity. He said it was from a messenger from Satan. We don't know exactly what it is. But Paul said, you know, the, what God has given is gospel grace. My grace is sufficient for you. Because in your weakness, in my weakness, God is made strong. You see, when you entrust your life to the all-sufficient one, the one who doesn't need anything, but rather all things come from, His grace is sufficient. It's enough. It's all that you need. It's more than you need. Everything you have is from God and everything you need is in God. We're going to close there and uh, close with a word of prayer. I'll ask the guys to come up after- afterwards and lead us in some worship. To the God who is self-existent, no beginning, the God of the ages, and the independent God who does not need anything, but all things are from him, and yet we can give him our praise. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you would temper our hearts by your word that we've just read. Lord, expand our worship of you. Help us to see you bigger than what we see and learn from you in the movies. Lord, help us to allow your word to speak truth into us and Lord, help us to have great thoughts of you. Help our worship to be deep, to be true. Lord, I thank you that you um you don't need me. But Lord, I desperately need you. Lord, I pray that, um, that that truth from your word would sink into each of us and it would cause us to be humble today. Lord, help give us humility. Help us to quit thinking so much of ourselves and to think more and more of you. We ask these things in your name, Lord, and with your help, and we thank you for your gospel, which makes it possible. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Cross Life. Feel free to share this recording with others, but please do not charge for it or alter the contents in any way. For more recordings or other information about Grace Bible Church, visit gbcmt.org.